Let's pray together. Father, we do seek the blessing that you give through the ministry of your word. You promised that. And so we pray for soft hearts to be able to receive it in faith, that it might bear much fruit in our lives and lead us in greater faith towards Christ and to be able to serve him more faithfully. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture text this morning is Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, and you'll find that on page 845 and 846 of the Pew Bible, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And I'll just say up front, uh, once again, we have some difficult words from the Lord Jesus, just as we did last week. Let me read for us here, beginning in verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and, in order to test him, asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again and again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. I don't think I need to give you all the staggering statistics upon divorce in our culture to let you know how destructive it is and how common it is. It is rampant. It is destructive. I myself am a child of divorce. When I was about three years old, my parents uh, got a divorce and I can remember leaving the house for the last time, being confused and not knowing exactly what was taking place. You and some of you know exactly that feeling. Some of you know what it's like yourself to be in this situation that Jesus is speaking of. And I recognize this is a very sore subject for many of us, a very difficult subject to get our hands around. But here what we have is Jesus traveling through the countryside. You remember he had withdrawn and begun to uh, teach his disciples alone so that they would be prepared for not only the cross and the crucifixion but also prepared for the day in which Jesus is no longer with them so that they would know how to minister in his name and here we see him on his way to Jerusalem getting ready for the crucifixion and as he is traveling to Jerusalem he begins to teach the crowds once again and during that time the Pharisees come to him We read in verse 2, they came up in order to test him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Their purpose here is to test 
Jesus. They're not simply wanting to engage in a theological debate just to have a debate, but rather to question him, to t- excuse me, to test him. And the question is, why would they want to test him? Well, the area through which Jesus must have gone and traveling on here to the region beyond the Jordan would have put him right in Herod Antipas's reign. Now, you remember from studying John the Baptist that John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod because John had spoken out against Herod's divorce and Herod's current wife's divorce of Herod's brother. And for that reason, Herod killed John the Baptist. And it may just be that what the Pharisees want to do to Jesus is to get him to denounce divorce so that once again the wrath of Herod would rise up and this time not only kill John the Baptist, but kill Jesus himself. So here what we see are the Pharisees wanting to overthrow Christ and overthrow his authority. Because even though this passage is about divorce and marriage, its backbone is the authority of Jesus. That Jesus has the authority to speak about this particular issue because he is the one who's not only made the world, but he's created the institution of marriage. Overthrowing the authority of Christ, the author of marriage, is actually what has led to recreating marriage after our own designs. That, after all, is what the culture has done, not only in America, but throughout the world, is to say, we want to recreate marriage in our own likeness so that it serves our desires and not God's desires. And really, the, to the extent that we have not submitted to Christ, that we have not loved our spouses faithfully the way that Jesus describes in His Word, to that extent, we have actually created marriage after our own designs and not after the Lord Jesus' instruction. And so here Jesus wants us to see God's good intentions for marriage, that it's part of His good design for creation. And He tells us several things here. The first is this, the reason for divorce in the first place. The central reason for divorce. That's the first point. The Pharisees asked the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them, what did Moses command you? Which, by the way, just as an aside, is a great tactic if someone wants to pin you down to get you to say what you believe. What does the Bible say? Put it back upon them. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. They respond by saying, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now what's taking place there is they're referring to the background of the Mosaic law. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, the law of Moses did permit divorce and required that a certificate of divorce be given to the wife so that as she left her husband, she would have proof that she actually is divorced so that she would be free to remarry. After all, in that society, women were often left without any protection and therefore would most likely need to seek the protection of a new husband. 
Now, divorce was rampant in that culture just like it is in ours. And the intention of the law, Jesus goes on to say, is really to protect women and to restrain the number of divorces. He goes on to say, because, verse 5, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Jesus is wanting to correct their view of divorce. There were two schools of thought. You see that text, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, said that a man could divorce his wife for something shameful or something indecent. And the question centered on that word. What is that shameful thing? What is that indecent thing that is the reason for divorce? And there were two schools. The school of Shammai said that it, it must be something morally corrupt, especially adultery. Then there was the more liberal school of Hillel that said it could not only be something moral, but could be anything that displeased the husband. In fact, there are writings that speak of how if a wife did not cook a meal that pleased her husband, that was something shameful for which he could engage in divorce proceedings. And do you see what they have done? They've taken the law that was meant to protect the wife and they have twisted it for their own purposes and gain. And so what he says here, it's because of your hardness of heart that Moses gave you that command. It's not because he wanted to allow divorce. Because what he was trying to do is rein it in and at least give some protection to the wife. Some of you know who Britney Spears is, the um, pop star who's fallen on hard times in recent years, Britney Spears, back in January 5th of 2004, was married to her childhood uh, friend, Jason Alexander. The marriage was a private service. It happened at 5.30 in the morning. I don't know if that was after a long night of drinking. I'm not sure. But they were married at 5.30 in the morning. And by 6 p.m. the same day, the annulment papers had already been filed. Now, when asked by the tabloids why she did this, this was her response. I wanted to see what it would be like to be married. I wanted to see. In other words, I wanted to sense and experience what it would be like to be married. From her perspective, marriage is something that just happens to you. It's an experience that comes upon you and happens to you. It's not something that you submit to and commit yourself to. And it's with this kind of mindset that people engage in marriage. And when it no longer satisfies you, when the experience is no longer pleasing to you, well, then you no longer submit to it. And you seek divorce. See, God made marriage good. God made marriage for a whole life. And that's because what he has done in marriage is bind people together as one flesh. Jesus reminds of this in verse 8. And the two shall become one flesh. One reality. In God's economy, somehow two people add up to equal one reality. Now, if you hold your place in Mark and you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul speaks of this union, this very mystical union in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 6. He's speaking to people who are 
uniting themselves physically with prostitutes. And he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? In other words, you're joined to Jesus. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Should I join them with a prostitute? Never, he says. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. He's speaking here of this physical sexual union that makes you one with somebody else. Joined together in some kind of union that is supposed to be unbreakable. It's a union that's that's mysterious that we don't fully understand. And yet it is powerful as a real reality. It's why when marriages break up, there's real pain. It's not because it's some legal contract only, but it's relational. And there's a real bindingness between two people that join together in marriage. Their hearts are intertwined in such a way that they're joined and no longer to be ripped apart. And so the intent of marriage is to bind a man and a woman together in a way that can't be broken, which is what Jesus goes on to tell his disciples in verse 11. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Marriage is a covenant relationship, as the prophet Malachi tells us. It's a covenantal bond that is not to be broken because what God has joined together, man is not to separate. Now, why do we speak of marriage as a covenant? Because marriage is to be a relationship where there's trust, where there's security, where there's vulnerability, where there's commitment so that you, when you continually pledge yourself to your spouse over and over and over again. That unbreakable bond is solidified more and more. Because you see, the reason for divorce is the very reason for which the Pharisees are asking the question. It's selfishness. When we're no longer viewing our spouse as one flesh with us, but rather we're looking upon our marriage in a very selfish mentality then we've already lost. And it's possible then to break a marriage. When we think of ourselves as individuals seeking to get our own way rather than being united together. And she is my body and I am her body. And we cannot be torn apart. If we think of ourselves as individuals, then we've already lost the battle. Because then marriage is there to please us. It's to satisfy us. And when we seek to, to think of ourselves as individuals, we begin to tear that relationship apart. And indeed, we're tearing our own selves apart because we're joined together, bound together for a whole lifetime. We're actually bringing destruction upon ourselves and ripping ourselves apart. Friends, marriage can never make you fully happy. Marriage can never make you fully happy. If you're not married and you've never been married, that may sound like a strange saying. Marriage can never make you fully happy. If you are married, you know what I mean. 
It's not that marriage doesn't bring happiness. It's not that you're not happy in your marriage, but it can't bring the fullness of happiness that God desires for you. But it can make you miserable. It can make you miserable. If you think of yourself as an individual and you expect that your spouse is there to serve you. And that's the very problem that the Pharisees had. Their whole mindset is one of selfishness. You see, at the heart of any divorce case is selfishness. It's selfish to commit adultery. It's selfish to engage in divorce proceedings because my spouse is not loving me the way that I want to be loved. It's selfishness at the root of divorce. And that's what Jesus is revealing here. Like I said before, mankind has sought to recreate marriage after our own designs. And if our designs are selfish, well then you see we're tempted at times to think that divorce is the option. That marriage can be broken. But Jesus not only gives us here the reason for divorce being selfishness, but He also gives us the restriction upon divorce. He says here in verse 9, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. To stand up and take, uh, uh, to make vows of marriage is to be joined together by God's command. This is something that is divine, that God does Himself. It's not simply a human action, but God Himself binds people together. And He says, what I've bound together, you're not allowed to separate. Now the disciples asked Jesus about this in private. Verse 10, we're told that in the house later on, the disciples asked Him about this matter. They're confused about Jesus' saying. And His response is, well, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Jesus is saying there, there is no option for divorce. Except one. And it's actually in this same occurrence back in Matthew chapter 19. Where Matthew gives us the fullness of what Jesus has said. In verse 9 he responds to uh, his quest, this question about divorce by saying. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now why is there that exception clause? Well, you see, in the Old Testament law, the penalty for adultery was death. The penalty for adultery was death. It was to be a way to prevent people from committing adultery. Do you see the destructive power? Look at the law and recognize what this will bring if you take hold of it. And when the adulterer was put to death, the offended person was then free from marriage. The marriage bond is broken. Now they're free to remarry. And what's taking place in Jesus' day, and in our day even, even though the death penalty is not brought upon the adulterer, we're to live as if it has been brought upon them. As if they are dead. And in that case, the offended spouse is then free to remarry. And that's what Jesus is speaking of. In the case of adultery, 
there is the option of divorce because the marriage bond is already broken. Now let me say one other thing. If you've kept your place in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 7, Paul goes on to speak about marriage and he's answering a slightly different question than Jesus is answering. And that's why there's um, one thing added to that exception clause. Paul says, chapter 7, verse 10, to the married I give this charge, the wife should not separate from her husband. Speaking of divorce there, not our modern day version of separation. The wife should not, in other words, leave her husband. She should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. In other words, if there are two believers who cannot be reconciled, you're not to seek divorce, but rather you're to seek reconciliation. Then he goes on to say to the rest that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Now, here's what Paul is saying. For those people in Paul's day who became believers under the preaching ministry of the gospel and their spouses did not become believers. If your spouse wants to leave you, maybe because you've become a Christian and they just can't stand to live in the house with you anymore. If they leave. You're free to let them go. In other words, there's another exception clause here, and that is desertion. If your spouse leaves you and deserts you, well, then you're free to divorce and to remarry. Now, theologians throughout uh, the uh, ages have debated this. And there are other things that they would put into this category of desertion. Sometimes it's physical abuse. Maybe a husband becomes so physically abusive. In effect, what he has done is to drive the wife away and in so doing desert her so what i'm trying to tell you this morning is that there are a couple of exceptions to this statement that what god has joined together let not man separate but there are narrow boundaries what god wants us to see is that we need to be very very careful before we engage in marriage because it is a lifelong commitment. Now let me say this. There are two wrong ways to respond to this. And one right way. The two wrong ways are this. One. To say to Jesus. Jesus your teaching is unbearable. There is no way that I could submit to this. Jesus you're not a modern man. If you were a modern man. You'd recognize that marriage is just a, a human institution. It's a creation of mankind. And therefore, I don't have to submit to it. I can create my own rules for marriage. But love is not a ditch that you fall in and out of. Love is not a ditch that you fall in and out of. Love is a commitment. It's a choice. For better or for worse, I'm committed to you. Isn't that what Jesus did? 
when he took the greatest risk by coming to the world for his bride. And though at times his bride has refused him, though at times his bride has rebelled against him and committed adultery, he continues to pursue her because he doesn't fall in and out of love with his bride. He's constantly committed to her. If you think that selfishness is the way to engage in marriage, then ultimately what you're ending up with is a very painful and destructive way of life. Anybody who has experienced divorce, whether personally or vicariously through someone else, knows that to be true. That way of life will ultimately bring you and the people that you love the most the greatest possible damage. That's the first wrong way to respond. The second wrong way is this, and I think this is probably the most dangerous. It's actually to agree with Jesus. Right on, Jesus. That's the right thing. Preach it, brother. And then to think, that will never happen to me. That will never happen to me. I know people who have said that and who have gone on to get a divorce. My friends, you know this to be true. Marriage takes work. And the worst possible disposition through which you can enter into marriage is to say, that will never happen to me. Yes, intellectually, I agree with you, Jesus. This is a lifelong commitment. And then to presume that you will always be faithful that your marriage will always be safe and not take Jesus seriously at his warning. Now, here's the right, right way to respond. It's simply to heed Jesus' warning and to work at it, to not take your marriage for granted. And this is a message that I need to take seriously and that you need to take seriously, that we don't take our marriages for granted. We don't take our spouses for granted. And we love them with great passion. We serve them and we care for them. And we recommit ourselves to them day in and day out. And that, that we don't assume that there's any guarantee. Because some of the greatest Christians have fallen to this kind of temptation. To thinking that it will never happen to them. And they never took G Jesus seriously. Well, Jesus tells us the reason of the divorce. He tells us the restriction. Finally, he tells us the safeguards against divorce. Now, the Pharisees come to Jesus asking about divorce, and he turns the tables. He doesn't want to talk about divorce. He actually wants to talk about marriage. What he says in verse 6 is that from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. He speaks here about leaving your father and mother. And you've heard this before. But when you get married, you subordinate all other authorities, all other commitments except for Christ himself to your marriage commitment. You leave all things behind so that now it's no longer your parents who are your authority. But rather, your commitment in marriage becomes your authority. You subordinate your 
commitments to your job, commitments to your friends, commitments to your single way of life, the way in which you live carefree, and all of a sudden now you've made this commitment and you have to leave everything else behind. I think one of the biggest reasons that marriages can be miserable rather than joyful is that we don't actually leave behind all the things that we want and all the things that we expect. The expectations that we have for the kind of life that we want. The expectations that we actually have for our spouses. That they'll be a certain kind of way. And they'll, they'll actually listen to us when we try to change them and, and make them into that particular person that we want them to be. And that's just pride. To say, you must do and you must act and be who I want you to be. And we don't leave behind those expectations. Sometimes it's expectations of what we think we are entitled to have. Now God, He puts requirements on your spouse. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Wives are to honor and respect their husbands. But just because God has put that commandment upon your spouse doesn't actually mean that you're entitled to it. It just means they are to follow the command of God. It's not because there's something intrinsically wonderful about you that means that they need to fulfill that command. It's simply because God says so. And if we don't realize that we come with expectations thinking we are entitled to things, then what we realize is we, we become very demanding people. We demand that our spouse treat us a certain way. And our focus is more on what our spouse is doing for us rather than what we are doing to fulfill God's command for our spouse. And what Jesus wants us to do is Leave everything behind. All of those sinful expectations. Because it's the very thing that he did. Leaving heaven and glory behind. To come to this world. To be married to his bride. So leaving is one thing. Holding fast is another. It means to be joined or glued together. It's loyalty. It's a pledge of faithfulness. It's a commitment. In other words, you make every effort possible. To recommit yourself to your spouse again and again. Because when you stood up in front of the church and you made your wedding vows to one another, that was not a promise. I will love you today. It's not a promise of present love. It's a promise of future love. I will love you today and I will love you tomorrow and I will love you for the rest of my life. And so he says, not only do you leave all behind, all your sinful desires, all of your expectations, but you also hold fast. You glue yourself to one another. I think, incidentally, one of the greatest ways that you can do that is to pray with each other. To be a couple that prays together with and for each other. Now, there are numerous ways to do that, but I think that's one way that goes unspoken oftentimes. Let me say this. If you don't do a good job of leaving, you'll never do a good job of holding fast. If you never do a good job of leaving, you won't actually want to hold fast 
because you'll still be holding on to so many other things that you actually won't be free to embrace your spouse. And you end up withholding yourself. And when you withhold yourself, rather than holding fast to your spouse, what you're really saying is, I'm not that committed to you. I'm not that committed to you. It brings, breeds insecurity. It brings distrust. And all of a sudden, that marriage relationship that is to be one flesh bound together all of a sudden has cracks in it and there are things in which you don't trust that your spouse is really that committed to you because you've sought to withhold yourself. Now believe it or not, some of us are actually harder to love than what our spouse thought when they stood up on that day and said, I will be faithful to you for the rest of my life. Some of us are difficult to love. The reality is that our spouses are never exactly what we thought they would be. You learn more and more about your spouse as time goes on. It's a wonderful thing about marriage. You learn little, little secrets, little mannerisms that they do. Sometimes those things are wonderful and we love them for it. At other times, they are things that drive us crazy and make us the most frustrated. And I think what Jesus is calling us to do is embrace our spouse and to say, that person is mine. And everything about them is mine. And I will treat them as if they were me. As Paul says, no one hated his own body, but loves and cherishes it as his own self. And the more that we actually do that, we give ourselves to each other, we embrace each other, we hold fast to each other, the more that you will find that your heart grows in affection for one another. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Lay hold of your treasure, my friends. Lay hold of your treasure, that your heart would be there also. Martin Luther was a very interesting man. He was eventually married. He was a monk for a number of years, but eventually was married. And let me tell you why he was married. And he wrote this down. He wrote, he gave, um, uh, he gave himself to marriage, first of all, because he wanted to give his father grandkids. That's the first reason. Very romantic reason, isn't it? The second reason is because he wanted to prove to his theology students, he wanted to prove to his theology students that it was biblical for a man of the gospel to get married. Now, these, these are men who've come out of the Catholic Church. And he wanted to prove to them. Now, there's an even more romantic reason to get married, isn't it? Now, Katie, his bride, had loved him for years and wanted to be married to him. And finally, he was willing and proposed to Katie. And he grew to love her to serve her, so much so that he called her affectionately his little rib, because just like Eve, who was taken out of uh, the rib cage of Adam, it was as if Katie was taken out of him because he was so one flesh with her. And this is what he writes, I would not exchange my Katie for Paris or for all of France, for Venice or for all of Italy, for God has given her to me and me to her. Jesus says, when you hold fast to your wife, then you experience 
the reality of which I have already declared to be true. You are one flesh. You are bound together. And all of a sudden, that sense of intimacy, of companionship, begins to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. And the more you experience it, the more you want it. But here's the thing, that's not the end. That's not the end of the story. There's something actually more amazing. And hold with me for a few minutes with this. Marriage is not the end goal. You know it to be true. Think of Hannah and Elkanah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah did not have a son. And she weeped and weeped over that fact. What did Elkanah say to her? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And the answer was implicit, no you're not. Marriage is never enough. I said earlier, marriage will never fully satisfy you in this life. It's a wonderful blessing of God, but it wasn't meant to fully satisfy you in this life. What Paul speaks of when he references this same command from Genesis chapter 2, where the two shall become one flesh, in Ephesians chapter 5, he references that same verse, and then he goes on to say this mystery is profound, but I'm referring to Christ and the church. Here's what he's saying. Woven into the fabric of creation, into this institution that God has made, marriage, is the fact that it is a signpost to something greater. The mystery or that thing that was once hidden and now is revealed is the fact that Christ has come for His bride, the church. And what Jesus is saying here is that when you experience marriage on a human level, the way that it is supposed to be experienced, and there's sweetness of fellowship between the two of you because you've left everything behind and you're holding fast to one another, then something even greater happens. Then all of a sudden you realize you're being pointed to something more beautiful than your earthly marriage. And it's the marriage that Christ has with His bride, the church. So that what you really long for is not just for things to get better with your husband or for your wife or with your wife. What you really long for is the wedding supper of the Lamb. And your spouse who is committed to you now is the one who's helping you to see that and to long for it. See, when you commit yourselves to each other over and over again, you help one another long for that eternal marriage. The one that brings fullness of joy. The one that satisfies your soul like no other. It's Christ Himself. It's just a signpost. It's a glorious one. Lay hold of it now. That it would do its work in you and make you long for glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a both difficult, challenging, as well as glorious truth that you've laid before us. Forgive us that we are not better lovers of our spouses. Help us, Lord, that we would be faithful to one another, 
and so be faithful to you. And in that, Lord, that we would long for what only you can give. That our souls would be filled by the satisfaction of knowing that Jesus is committed to us forever and ever. May that delight and joy fuel us now to love our spouses and to be faithful just as you are faithful. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.